we are in the book of Daniel. And we're looking at this book with the theme that God tests you first before he blesses you. That stress comes before success. And today in Daniel chapter 5, we're going to learn some things about the importance of being wise. In Daniel 5, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most famous king who built the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, has died. He reigned 45 years, and his grandson, named Belshazzar, is the king. Belshazzar is a terrible king. I mean absolutely terrible. He is a party boy. He is a spoiled royal brat. All he likes to do is drink and party with his friends. And with these major flaws, the Medes and the Persians join together. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great join together. They form a coalition to besiege Babylon, the walled city of Babylon. It was a safe place with the Euphrates River running through it. It had walls 50 to 80 foot thick. The armies of the Medes and the Persians are camped around it. And King Belshazzar is not worried at all. He throws a party. He invites a thousand of his friends to the royal palace to get drunk. And while he is drunk, he tells his friends, Hey guys, when my grandfather was king, he invaded Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple. And he took from the temple the religious utensils. And they have been in storage now for years. And I am going to get out the goblets. And we are going to fill them with some liquor. And we're going to use them as a toast to our God. That was a very bad, bad, bad. Did I say bad? That was a bad idea. This is called being sacrilegious. It is making fun of someone else's religion. It is taking something that was made to honor God and misusing it to dishonor God. It is turning something sacred to profane. Let me read this part of the story out of Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a, a, a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote. This 
is a hand without a body. Folks, this is like a Freaky Friday movie, right? It's like a hand like uh, the foam hands that you see maybe at a ballpark somewhere or a football game. We're number one. And it's writing on the wall. Have you ever heard the expression, the handwriting is on the wall? You ever heard that? It's something, it comes from this story, 2,500 years ago. It is an idiom of warning. It is about something bad that's going to happen. And this handwriting on the wall is a warning to Belshazzar that he is going to die because he has been sacrilegious and he hasn't been humble. Let me read verse 6, Daniel 5, 6. And his face turned pale with fright. His knees buckled together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. In the Hebrew, it means that he pooped his pants. That's what's going on here, okay? He was scared, you know what? And 1,000 guests see this hand writing on the wall and they smell what's happened in Belshazzar's pants. And yet nobody could read it. Nobody understood it. No one could interpret it. And so what they do is they call Daniel the Ghostbuster. Okay? When there's a mystery, something's going on, they call Daniel. Now remember Daniel's life. He first came in as a POW. And then he graduated to being an intern. And now he is an administrator. He has moved up and developed a reputation for being the smartest guy in the empire. Truly, when there is a mystery, when there is something that isn't understood, they call Daniel. So Daniel comes into this banquet, and he reads the message. Mina, mina, telkel, parson. Which is in a language that they did not understand. They spoke Chaldean. This is Aramaic. This is the only Aramaic phrase in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written out of Hebrew, okay? This is Aramaic. It was a foreign language to them. And by the way, it was the language that Jesus spoke. And so Daniel comes in to interpret this phrase, and he says to King Belshazzar, okay, king, this is what it means. Mina means numbered. Your days are numbered. God has numbered your days, and they're going to come to an end. Your time is up. Telka means, king, weighed. Your life has been weighed on a scale, like a well, something that you might step on in the morning, right? And you have come up short. And then he says, parson, which means divide. He says, your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Now, it's interesting, that word parson is a play on words for Chaldeans because it sounds like Persian. 
And so it's kind of a little joke. But folks, this was no joke. This is not good news for King Belshazzar, okay? In essence, he's saying, you are dead meat. And with that kind of message, it would have been easy for Daniel to have caved in. He must have felt the pressure. But he told the king exactly what it meant. Take a look at this. Daniel 5, 29 and 31. And see how he gets promoted for doing this. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple. uh, In purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. God tests you before he blesses you. And success comes before success comes before success. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Archaeology now tells us that they did did invade the, the city of Babylon, but they didn't do so by tearing down the walls, but rather by going under the walls by way of the Euphrates River. And so King Belshazzar's reign, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, was just two years. Now, as I read this chapter, I thought, you know, there are a lot of lessons in this chapter, and there are. Lessons like how to not lose your kingdom, because folks, the the principles are in there, okay? You could frame it like how to not lose your family or something like that. But I want to focus on Daniel, I want to focus on him and why they called Daniel for this crisis when they didn't know what to do, when they didn't understand what was going on. I want to focus in on that message because there are a lot of crises going on in our world. Would you agree with that? And people are looking for understanding. They are looking for wisdom. Truly today, maybe more than back then, we need men and women who can say, this is what this means. And be able to speak into it like Daniel did, with dignity, with sincerity, with reverence, without being sacrilegious. And help people. Daniel is this go-to guy. Because he developed a reputation for being God-fearing, which enabled him to become the wisest man in the empire. Let's go back to Daniel 5.12 where the queen says this. This man, Daniel, has a sharp mind and is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain the meaning of mysteries, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what it means. And then the king said, I have heard that the Spirit of God is in you, that you possess brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about that. And notice three things just within those verses, that he he has the Spirit of God within him. 
He's brilliant in the knowledge of the day. And he is extraordinary in wisdom and how to apply it. Wouldn't you like for people to say that about you? Well, guess what? Today's your lucky day. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm setting this up. I want you to remember this. I want you to keep these notes because when I launch getting in the game, being a relational coach, the angle isn't necessarily to help us, it's to help others. What is the number one problem in most places and with most people and most families? Their relationships. And I'm going to teach us how to be a relational coach. How to speak wisdom into people's lives so as to help them in the most important part of their life. Their relationship with God and their relationship with other people. How do you become wise? God used Daniel because he was wise. But wisdom is a choice, is it not? You can choose to be wise or you can choose to be unwise. You can choose to be wise by learning and reading and dedicating things and praying and studying things. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom and learning. Take a look at Proverbs 4, verse 13. Always remember what you've learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. So this morning, let's take a look at what God says about becoming wise. Five ways. Folks, there are benefits to love. And there are benefits to being wise. And God says, if you will do what I tell you to do, you can become a wise person. The first thing is this. Make a commitment to never stop learning. Folks, it all starts with a choice. Nobody can decide this for you. You must decide this for yourself. Proverbs 23, verse 12. Commit yourself to instruction, listen carefully to the words of knowledge. I'll never forget, within my first year of becoming a Christian, my sophomore year in college, I determined and made the commitment that I was gonna read everything I could. I read religious books, I read science books, I read history books, I read leadership books, lots of leadership books, I read biographies, I read everything that I could read. And you may be sitting there, George, how were you able to do that? Oh, really simple. Large print and a lot of pictures. That's how I did it, okay? Your education, and you know this, doesn't stop when you graduate from high school or from college. I hear people a lot of times say, I am so glad that my education's done so that I can start my career. And when I hear that, I think, it never stops. When you think that way, God just laughs because there are a lot of things that God wants to teach you that you haven't learned yet. So will you write this down? Learning isn't a stage of life. It is your life. Learning is a, isn't a stage of life. It is your life. It is a lifestyle. God wants you to learn something new every day. 
And so he says, commit yourself to instruction. Make a commitment to never stop learning. So let me ask you this. What new skills are you working on right now that you didn't have last year? Let me, let me ask that in a different way. What new skills next year are you going to have because you're learning some new ones right now? Are you going to be any different next year than you are right now? Relationally, financially, career-wise, spiritual-wise, emotionally, mentally. Are you going to be any stronger? Are you going to know any more? Are you going to be wiser? You see, lifelong learning is the key to leadership. Why? Because you can never take a person beyond where you are. For instance, growing businesses have growing owners. Growing families have growing parents. Grandparents. Growing great-grandchildren results from growing parents. I have about four books that I'm going to read this summer just about how to be a grandparent at different stages of their life. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but they, they grow up. A classroom requires growing teachers. If you're not learning, guess what? You're not leading. Because you've got to be one step ahead of those that you're seeking to lead. And so learning isn't a stage of life it is your life. Now, why should you and I never stop learning? Well, there's lots of reasons, okay, in the Bible. But let me just give you two. Profit and success. Are you interested in those things? Are you interested in being more successful? I hope you are, okay? And I hope you are interested in profiting. Because the more you learn, the more you earn. And the more you grow, the more effective you will become in life in every area. Here's a couple of verses. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. If an axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If your axe is dull, folks, it's just going to take a whole lot more energy to cut through that thing. One of the pastors on our staff is, is, is going to sell, I think, uh, his chainsaw to, to Dennis, who just got a farm, okay? And Dennis loves the farm, okay? I see him come in in the office uh, during the week, and he's got a, a, a John Deere hat on now, you know? You ever seen him in that? I tell you, it's, it's funny, really, you know? But, but Dennis loves it. And, and this pastor's going to sell him a chainsaw, but he's going to sharpen the blade first. Why? Because if you don't, it's just going to take more energy. And so you and I need to work smarter in every area of our life as opposed to harder. And you're never wasting your time when you are sharpening your axe. Right now, you are sharpening your axe in church. I guarantee you what you get here on Sunday mornings is personal and it is positive and it is practical. I have people, CEOs, that take these messages and they recommunicate them in a non-spiritual way to their staffs. I guarantee you everything that you get here, you can pass on 
And when you spend time at church, it is not a wasted hour. I, 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 I personally know that I'm going to be held accountable for every minute of your life that you are here. And that is, that is, that, that's a little unnerving if you understand what I mean. And I hope you pray for me, seriously. But it's valuable to you and it's valuable to God. And when you read a book or you go to a seminar, the Bible says that those kinds of things bring success. And notice that it didn't say desire or prayer. No, it said skill. Skill brings success. That's why I teach more on biblically how to do it. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone who's going through a crisis and you mention something and they say, well, I know that. Why in the world are you in this mess? Because you know that, okay? They know, but they don't have the skill. You can pray all you want. You can dream all you want. But if you don't have skill, you're not going to succeed. I know a lot of people who have dreams and desires and pray to grow, but they are not able because they don't have the skills. When I teach about prayer, do you remember the prayer hand? I'm not going to tell you what it is. You review it, okay? The Bible says it brings success. Not only does it bring success, it helps us profit. Take a look at Proverbs 19, verse 8. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will, will you circle that, prosper. The more you learn, the better your life will be. Now, Here's what I have discovered in 40 years of ministry. You can learn from anybody if you ask the right questions. If you gave me five minutes of your time, I would find out things that I don't know that you know. And you would find out things that I know that you don't know. There are things that you could teach me and there are things that I could teach you if we just could have five minutes with one another. That is why we need each other. But in order for that to happen, guess what that takes? It takes humility. Humility is the foundation of asking questions. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to ask any questions because I don't, I don't want to appear dumb. Guess what? That's a dumb thing to do, okay? <laughs> the dumbest thing is not to ask questions. So humility helps you and I to learn because you ask questions. Take a look at Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep, a deep well, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Daniel was a man of understanding. Remember what the queen said? Hey, this guy's got wisdom. He's a man of understanding. He knows mysteries. He, he, he can solve difficult problems. How do you draw out things from people? By asking questions. And let me give you two questions that, that I ask myself every time, especially when I meet someone new. One is this, how can I help them? I always start off with, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I, how can I serve them? How can I help them? Is there anything that I can add value 
to them in regards to their life. Because we are first called to be servants. But the second question is, what do they know that I don't know? Because if I ask myself that question, then I can learn from them. Now the secret to those two questions is this. Will you write down these two words? These are extremely important. Pay attention. Take a look at Proverbs 23, verse 12. I was with one of my staff members um, this week at a conference, and um, I, I made reference to the fact that in high school, I, I was a, uh, a, a line, not a linebacker, but a um, halfback, and I was taught to read the holes. And when I am in a crowd of people, my, my eyes are just they're going like this. Okay, I want to get to that place. Go here, go there, go, you know, like that. You have to pay attention. You have to, you have to read things. Notice what Proverbs 23, 12 says. Commit yourself to instruction and tune in your ears to hear words of knowledge. Now, if you're a college student, what that is saying is if you don't pay attention in class, you're sinning. Just kidding, just kidding. The point, though, is this. Paying attention is demonstrating commitment. And it's commitment to learning that will help you grow in wisdom. So the point is, the more you pay attention, the more you learn. The second thing that the Bible tells us that we need to do is that we need to learn the lessons of prior generations. The whole reason that King Belshazzar failed was because, folks, he didn't learn from his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. His grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, made all these mistakes that he is making right now. But King Belshazzar, his grandson, didn't listen and he didn't learn. And as a result, he lost it all. You and I have to learn from prior generations. Now the concept of this thought is biblical. In fact, God commands it. Did you know that? Take a look at Job 8. Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know so little. He's saying that you got to go out and you got to start talking to those who have gone before you. And you have to ask them questions. Because if you don't, you're just being prideful. But if you're humble and you'll ask questions to prior generations, guess what? You'll learn. In your life, if you're going to be wise, truly you need four types of relationships. You need mentors, you need models, you need partners, and you need friends. You need mentors. Mentors are coaches. If you're going to be successful in life, you need a coach. I'm your spiritual coach. Okay? Sometimes I refer to myself as that. I'm your coach. Okay? I'm just coaching you. Uh, you need mentors, and you need mentors in every area of your life because no one person knows it all. 
When it comes to finances, I say, oh, you need to go see Mark Bina, okay? When it comes to really deep theology, you need to go see Ben Busk, okay? I mean, when it comes to practicology, you're talking to the right person. I know how to apply these things. You and I need different mentors because no one person knows it all. Secondly, you need models. Models are people who are already doing what you want to do. And in reality, we actually learn faster through models. Babies do. They learn how to walk and talk and uh, eat just through modeling, okay? Now, my suggestion in regards to models is do not discount dead people. People of history. Because you can see their life from beginning to end. The models that are living right now, guess what? The verdict is still out on them. Like me. I may have started out well, but you don't know how I'm going to end. I'm at a conference and I'm talking to pastors about different ones that were mentors in my life. I said, I wonder what they're doing. And they told me stories. I said, that's not good. You ever heard like that? And so I say this. Choose live mentors and dead models. I don't want you climbing up someone else's ladder of success and finding that when you get to the top, it's leaning against the wrong building because they burnt out or they did something else with their life. I don't want you to waste your time. And so I say this, live, live, uh, have live um, mentors and dead models. The third are partners who help you row the boat. They are your, more than likely, your co-workers in your profession. Partners are those who help you, who encourage you, who support you. And then fourth, you need friends. Friends who love you no matter what. Friends don't necessarily help you with your goals, but guess what? They just love you. They look at your life and they say, you know what? You're a good egg, but you're just a little cracked. And you need those kind of friends. When they see your brokenness and they don't run away, but they move in closer. Those are the kind of friends you want. Now you need these things in your life. And you need to be this for others. It isn't just one way. It's a two-way street. You need to be poured into and you need to be pouring in to others. And that's what typically happens from older to younger. Job 8 says, ask the previous or former generation. How do you do that? Through biographies. I got a whole list of biographies when I go on sabbatical that I'm going to read. Don't you miss the fall. Don't miss July. Biographies. Will you write this down? All the lessons are in the past. Folks, there's nothing new in heaven, under heaven. In heaven, yes, God creates new things all the time. But under heaven, there's nothing new. All the lessons are in the past and all the opportunities are in the future. 
I will never forget reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn's biography, a Russian dissident who said, you must always keep one eye on the past and one eye on the future at the same time. And what he meant by that is that you are not able to grab hold of the future, the future opportunities that God has for you if you don't understand the past. That is why on my iPad I've got books on, I got this, cultural changes in modern world history. The cases, the causes, and the consequences. Do you think that we are in a cultural war right now? Do you think it is unique to our culture? I don't think so. And so I am reading, going to read like crazy about cultural wars that have happened in times past. You got to keep one eye on the past and one eye on the future in order to grab, to grab the opportunities. And so what I am saying is that you and I must become students of history. The Bible says learn from former generations. And the Bible is chock full of stories of people's lives. Those are called biographies. We had a little bit of King Nebuchadnezzar's biography in Daniel chapter 4. God included it. Like I said, Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of the Bible there, right? Nebuchadnezzar was real. Daniel was real. Peter was real. Moses was real. Paul was real. And the Bible shares the good, the bad, and the ugly of their lives. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 11. These things occurred as examples to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil things they did. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties, sexual immorality, and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So these are the first two things. I need to make a commitment to never stop learning and I must learn the lessons of the previous generations. Okay, real quickly, I wanna give you three. So get those pens ready. Number three, maintain a humble attitude that honors God. If you're not humble, you're going to stumble. And yet the more humble you are, the less you will stumble. The Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now the basis of humility is starting out in understanding this truth. That you're not God. That God is God, and I'm not. Take a look at Proverbs 15, verse 33. Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. You must be humble before you can ever receive honor. Do you want to be wise? Then get to know God. The more you know God, the wiser you'll be. You'll be wiser in your relationships. Don't miss this July. Building the team. And then when I get back from sabbatical, it's going to be, be a part of the team. Join the team. Get in the game. And I'm going to teach you how to be a relational coach. And both of those components are absolutely essential. You want to be wiser. Then you can't depend on yourself. 
You've got to get the wisdom of the ages in your soul. Now, by the way, do you want to know what the first mark of a Christian is? A wise Christian. You know what it is? Baptism. That's what it is. Because baptism is a public proclamation saying this, God, you're God, and I'm not. I'm going to let you be the boss of my life. Baby dedication is a statement of faith of the parents. Baptism is a statement of faith of the person. Baby dedication is about the parents. Baptism is about the adult person. And by the way, Jesus did both those things. He was dedicated in the temple, and he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. It's just a mark of wisdom. Now take a look, and if you haven't done that, by the way, sign up, because we're going to be having baptisms here pretty soon. Uh, John cha- or, uh, James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why is he opposed to the proud? Because they're unteachable. They think they know it all. Have you ever, again, have you ever met someone like that? Well, I know that. Yeah, but look where you're at, okay? I know that. They can't learn anything. Humility says I can learn from anybody. So can other people teach you things? Can I teach you things? It's just a question. The fourth key to wisdom is this. Refuse to fill my mind with garbage. We in our culture, I am just enamored in how we are caught up with air pollution and water pollution, which is a good thing, right? But most people don't give any concern to mind pollution. Actually, I would say that mind pollution is far more dangerous than air or water pollution because what gets in your mind gets to your heart and will eventually get to your feet. So what do you need to eat more of and what do you need to eat less of? There are basically four kinds of food content that you can fill your mind with. Poison. You can fill it with poison. Those are the things that demoralize you, that defeat you. You can fill your mind with junk food. Those are things that have no value. You can fill your mind with brain food. These are things that that help you to be a more well-rounded person, help you to be a stronger person. Or you can fill your mind with super brain food called the Bible. The Bible answers, asks and answers questions like, Who am I? Where am I going? Does my life really matter? What's God like? What is this world like? And the main reason that we oftentimes don't like to get into the Bible is because we filled our minds with junk food. So what do you need to eat more of and what do you need to eat less of in order to be a wiser person? Truly, I believe in our culture we need less Facebook and more face in the book. You got what I'm saying here? Oh, my friend. Oh, just rang. We need less Facebook and more face time in the book. And then finally, if you're going to be wise, you must put into practice what you have learned. 
God works with you the way you and I work with our children. You don't get to go to the fourth grade until you have mastered the third grade. And you don't get to go to the third grade until you have mastered the second grade. God comes along and says, you don't get to advance and go to the next level until you have acted on it. You have to apply it. You have to integrate it into your being. Let me say it like this. You're not a firefighter just by reading a book. You're a firefighter when you have fought the fire. Does that make sense? You're not a teacher until you've jumped into the classroom and you've taught. You're not an actor until you have acted. Will you write this down? I haven't learned it until I do it. I only believe what I do. And we have only learned it when we do it. Belshazzar loses everything because he failed on this point. He failed to put into practice the lessons that he saw from King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the grandson of the most powerful man in the world at that time, of the most, uh, the most powerful empire in the world. He saw Nebuchadnezzar lose his mind. He saw him make mistakes. And he saw him correct and correct them and how to do it right. But he chose to ignore the lessons of the previous generation. He wasn't humble and he was filled full of pride. He says, I'm going to party this summer. And God comes along and he says to him, you know what? I could have I let this go if you hadn't known about it. But you did know about it. You did see your, your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so, your time's up. You're done. Daniel had the courage to point that out to him. Take a look at Daniel 5, 22. Daniel said, King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, father doesn't mean father like we think of it. It means predecessor. It was a cultural thing. All that happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn from his life and you still refused to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. You knew about it, but you didn't learn. He made three mistakes. He didn't humble himself, he didn't learn, and he didn't apply. Folks, we know a lot about a lot of different things, don't we? But we haven't learned them. We know a lot about a lot of different things, but it hasn't changed our life and our relationships and our finances and our minds and our emotions. Here is the big lesson of Daniel 5. Will you write this down? If I don't humbly learn from generations before me, I will end up making the exact same mistakes. It's one thing to know something, to have head knowledge. It's another thing to where it impacts your heart 
and it changes your life. Some people, some people are going to miss a full life, a marriage that's, that's great, a family that's good, finances that are stable, a life of significance. They're going to miss that full life by 18 inches because they haven't allowed what they have heard and know to hit their heart. And this is true with the most important thing in life, and that is to know God. Knowing God is the most important thing. It is the foundation for all other wisdom. Take a look at what Paul tells Timothy. Some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. They may know string theory. They may know chaos theory. They may know quantum mechanics. But they have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. And I don't want that for our church. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are the God of all wisdom, that you are the wisdom of the ages, God. That in you is all knowledge and all understanding and all wisdom. And God, I thank you that you're not stingy, that you are willing to share your truth with us as we come to know you and fear you and respect you and walk with you. This, uh, this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't want your summer to be wasted. I want you to grow in wisdom so that you can be a man or a woman of wisdom like Daniel. But it starts in knowing God. Having the Spirit of God in you. And as you look at your life, is there evidence that He has dropped from your head into your heart? If not, will you do that today? Will you just say in, the simpli in simple words something like this, God, I admit, I'm filled full of pride. I think I'm God. It's got me in a lot of trouble, God. But today, I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Truly, he is the wisdom, the personified wisdom of the ages. And right now, I want to drop him into my heart. I want him to be my boss. I want him to be in the center of my life. And if you prayed that prayer in your own words, in whatever way, as long as you met it, God heard you. And now you are heaven bound. And now you have a platform to learn, to grow, to experience a full life. Can I encourage you just to let me know if you prayed that prayer? On your communication card, just, I don't know, give me your name, email address, check the appropriate box on the back of the card, throw it in the offering basket. Because I want to help you. I want to give you what I have. And I want you to give me what you have. God, I thank you 
for the stories that are in the Bible, that are there for our edification, for the building up of ourselves. God, may we be readers because we want to be leaders. We want to be those who are in the game, not just receiving, but influencing the people that are around us for your glory and for their good, God. And so help us. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.